In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever misheard a song lyric? I see a lot of smiling faces. Have you ever had that experience to be singing along to a song and your wife or your husband, a friend, your children look at you like you've just grown another head? I see people looking at each other. I'm not sure. I'm not going to ask. But we've all been there, right? We've all made those small mistakes. We love the song. We're just bopping our heads. And we didn't hear it right the first time. When Abraham was not, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, Abram's story began back in Genesis 11. He's born to his father, Terah. And after the death of his brother, Terah and, his, and Abram and their family moved from Ur, which is along the Euphrates River, today would be in Iraq. And they move over 600 miles to Haran. Now, Haran today is in southern Turkey. And from there, God calls Abram to follow him to a land where he's, he's not known. And Abram follows, and God promises to be in covenant, in a relationship with Abram. And Abram follows and obeys. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. Now this is not the first time that God has promised this to Abraham, or Abram. All the way back in chapter 12, many years prior, about 2025, God makes this same problem, promise to him. And as the years pass, Abram tries several different ways to make this happen. Why? Because they think they've misheard the lyric. That God has told them something, and it hasn't happened yet, so maybe we should try something else. His wife Sarai still hasn't had any children. And God says that he's changing Abram's name to Abraham, because God's promises are true. And then God said to Abraham, And as for Sarai, your wife, she shall no longer call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she'll give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now along with Abraham, Sarai gets a name change as well. And a promise that they will have a family, not a family from adoption. But because God has made a promise, they'd have a family. And he will do what he said he was going to do. David writes, Praise the Lord, you that fear him. Stand in awe of him, O offspring of Israel. All of Jacob's line give glory. Now David's looking back to the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he'd done for Moses and God's people. And calls on, calls on God's people, all of them, to look in awe and give God the glory for everything he has done. Then David says something else. For he does not despise nor abhor the poor in their poverty, neither does he hide his face from them. But when they cry to him, he hears them. God doesn't always work the way that people would like him to work. In David's day, people believe that God's blessings are given to righteous people, people of faith. And that God's blessings are not given to those not living in, that are living in sin. In their minds, rich equals godly plus blessed, and poor equals ungodly and unblessed. And we still have some of that same thinking in our society today, don't we? 
But what I know from my experiences, and I think you all know it too, this just isn't true. We are, and we meet, and we know, and we love people who struggle through life, people who are deep of faith, who exemplify God's love. They have nothing earthly to show for it. And we know, or know of, people who are exceedingly rich. I'm not going to make a comment on how they live their lives, but you can fill in the blanks there. Let's just say they don't always follow God's ways. And in David's day, saying God listens and loves the poor, just like he loves the rich, is a revolutionary thought. It was different. And I've got good news for you. It's true. David goes on to say, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall bow before him. God's love for us is such, David says, that he listens and takes care of us. When we deserve it, yes, but also when we don't deserve it. He says, They shall come and make known to a people yet unborn the saving deeds that he has done. We know what God has done for us, how he's helped us to change. And David says we should tell others what he's done for us. Our gospel begins. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Now we move ahead this week in Mark's gospel. Last week we're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's being baptized. Then he's going off in the wilderness to be tempted. And here we are, two, two and a half years later. It's after the feeding of the 5,000, after the feeding of the 4,000. After two years of preaching and praying and healing and everything else that's happened. And Jesus has just asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds with, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're God's son. And Jesus praises Peter for his understanding. And that's when Jesus told them, seemingly flat out, seemingly no longer with any kind of, not through a parable, what's going to happen next? He would have to go and be arrested, suffer and die, and then be resurrected. And their, their reactions, I think, are natural. They don't think that's something the Messiah is supposed to do. The Messiah is supposed to come and free them from the Romans. But just like when David tells God's people that God hears whoever calls out to him, regardless of their wealth or their health, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that what they think is going to happen is not what God is doing. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. When we look at outside things for why God does things for people, when we try to understand the divine, the spiritual things, by human reasoning, it doesn't always make sense. God's love in this broken, sinful world doesn't make sense. Jesus has just complimented Peter on his understanding. And now he's making sure that Peter understands that he's not here to do the things that would make Peter happy. He's not been called here to overthrow the Romans. 
And that's why he calls the crowd to him and says, If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is where the statement is coming from. That following Christ means we're called to give up, like Peter, our natural expectations, our anger, our greed, all of those things from the natural world, and to follow Christ instead. Jesus asked, For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Back to David for just a moment. When David said God listens to everyone's prayers, regardless of their wealth, what that means is the means and the ends, the ends don't justify the means. We've heard the prophets tell God's people over the last few months that the reason why he's there preaching to them, warning them, is that they're using their wealth to put on a facade of godliness, but they don't live it and they don't believe it in their hearts. Their greed and not God's love rules them. Jesus said, Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Jesus tells Peter and all who are listening, If you're ashamed because I came to do what God has called me to do, I didn't come to do what you want me to do. I'll be ashamed of you too. Now hold on to this verse until we reach Easter morning. Paul says, For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now Paul here is telling those in the Roman church who grew up in the family of God, it's not through their family, through their connections, it's not through their adherence to all the rules that God has made them righteous. It's because of their faith. He says, for this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us. Paul here is saying that everyone's salvation from the beginning of time depends not on the law or on the right family, but on faith. God is looking at our hearts, even in those days in which we struggle. Hoping against hope, Paul writes, he believed he would become father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. Back to Abraham for a few minutes this morning. Abraham's faith, faith was not because he and Sarah had many children when God was talking to him, but because Abraham believed that the God who led him from Haran, the God who had sustained him and led him along the way, would do what he had promised he would do. Paul says, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God would be able to do what he promised. Therefore his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Go back when you have time and read Abraham's story in Genesis. It's not that Abraham and Sarah were perfect. It's not that there weren't moments of doubt or confusion. And it's not that they didn't make a few left turns in Albuquerque. It's that they continued to move forward, trusting in God's love and listening when God spoke. Paul finishes, Now the words that was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, 
and raised for our justifications. Paul said that the same trust that Abraham had is what God is looking for. And that just like Abraham, who lived hundreds of years before Moses, hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law came down from Mount Sinai, God is looking to our faith in him and in his son for us to be counted as righteous. And God is saying the same to us today, to trust God, to have our faith and hope in him, to not be caught up in this world to the point that our faith becomes subservient to other things, to follow God even when we don't fully understand, knowing that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to misread the map when we get to Albuquerque sometimes too. It's natural. It's our impatience. For Abraham, it was following when the promised son hadn't come after decades of following. But God still came back to remind Abraham of his love and clarify the promise. David could look and see what God had done for his family in the past, and what God was doing for him just then, and know that he and his descendants should continue to let others know about what he had done. Peter and Paul could look back at the life the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and know that God's promises are true, even if they didn't fully understand what was going on in the moment. And we're still here, waiting on the full promises. And what we should do is just continue to live and to walk by faith. Amen.